Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health Podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, a.k.a. The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. You can follow us at HuntHarvestHealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. back for more gardening tips from Sean McCoy. Today we talk about pests, which is all too common and every single gardener deals with pests of some kind. And what I absolutely love about this podcast is that he gets into a lot of things you don't think of. I mean, most of us, you know, we thought about slugs when we lived in Washington. Um, you might think of aphids, um, maybe deer, larger animals, but he goes into a lot of different pests that um, are both beneficial, which I don't think people think of either, and not so beneficial. So uh, a lot of great information in here. And then ways to deal with pests naturally, um, products to use, and kind of when to start doing that, what what to look for in your garden, and, and how to, um, yeah, how to deal with pests in a way where you're hopefully not having to spray chemicals and everything on them. So um, this podcast was super fun to do. I always learned so much from Sean. Um, and I actually, we, we got into a deeper conversation about gardening and, um, because last weekend, or yeah, just, just recently I, um, yeah, last weekend I went out and worked in the garden for the whole weekend and, uh, had some epiphanies about it, but, I split this up into two podcasts because it was kind of long. So if, if you want to hear that, that's going to be uh, podcast 158. So I'm going to split this one up um, and you can go and listen there and kind of my, some, just some words of wisdom I, I've gotten from this experience and some of my post-COVID experience, etc. cetera. So um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about this. Um, there are, of course, lots of pests that we probably did not cover, um, depending on where you're, what your ecoclimate is, etc. But these are some of the more common ones. Um, again, if you have questions for Sean, I'm sure he's happy to answer you at Frank's Little Farm on Instagram. So I had a couple of patients this week who <clears throat> listened to the podcast and they said, oh, I listen to your gardening podcast and they're so good. I needed those reminders. And then I had, we got a, um, we have some friends from Colorado that have a company that they refurbish campers. Like mm -hmm. we gave them our cargo trailer and he refurbished it into like a camper. So it has like a nice. kitchen in it and shelving and cots that come up and down, um, it has an awning that goes out and like a heater and air conditioner. Oh yeah. It's super, it's got boot dryers built in. It's wow. super fancy. Oh yeah. It's called NZ campers. And we met them through, um, Heather Kelly, who owns Heather's choice. Mm -hmm. Last year, she did a business builders workshop where she oh, I remember that. had a series. Yeah. Where, um, she had business owners that have been successful in the space talk and then people joined that were kind of new into business and they were trying to figure out at least in the hunting industry and in the outdoor industry. And so this couple there from Colorado, they live in Leadville, which is the highest city in the United States. Oh yeah. I know Leadville. I got friends that yeah. run the race. 
yeah, so he's he does the Leadville 100. He has her on. He's kind of a, I said peak bagger. He didn't really like that word, but he lives up there. So he he's a climber. Mm-hmm. And they have four beautiful children. So they were all camping up here in Ennis and he was bear hunting. And so they brought our trailer back to us and had dinner and showed us, showed me. Ryan wasn't back yet, unfortunately, but, um, and the trailer was so cool. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, but she, we were making dinner and she said, oh, I listened to your gardening podcast on the way up here. And I just love it. Now she lives in Leadville. So you can imagine they live, I don't know how high Leadville is like 10 or I think it's at least 10, 10 or 11. I forgot. It's really high. And so they have the super dry and arid, um, climate and so we're talking gardening a lot like these problems that i have but not they probably have more (laughs) as far as um, climate and growing season so um yeah i've gotten a lot of good feedback on that nice i have too um, i've gotten maybe not a lot but i've definitely gotten some good feedback great so i think people have appreciated this i've i've appreciated it and i think at the end of the podcast we will talk about some of my takeaway from talking about this but for now why don't you we talked um we touched a little bit on fertilizers last time and I think that kind of one of the things that kind of goes along with fertilizers is also um herbicides and pesticides and we could talk about that a little bit and then just talk about pests in general and because every uh microclimate is probably going to have a different pest (laughs) And how the conventional model, medical, I'm not medical, see, I'm in the medical world. The conventional farming mar- model, how they eliminate pests and kind of how big ag has done that for many years now. But in a small organic farm, you know, garden, if you're trying to keep it good, you know, what are the things pest-wise that you may look for and, um, and, and kind of helping people with that? Because that's a huge question that we get. Now, we lived in Washington, and we had a huge slug problem. Slugs are really common in the wet, wetter environments like Washington. And Ryan had multiple different strategies for organically getting rid of slugs. And sometimes they worked, and sometimes they didn't. But um, And we have a funny story about that because Ryan doesn't drink. And we would buy big cases of Pabst Blue Ribbon. And, and after many attempts at trying to kill slugs with no success, I mean, you can be diligent, I guess, and go out there and like they say you can pour salt on them and stuff. And like we put the copper wire around the boxes that didn't really seem to work that well. Um, but Ryan read somewhere that they like beer. They mm-hmm. like to drink beer. And so we would just take full cans of beer and open the top and sometimes cut a bigger hole or whatever and just put a can of beer in each box Uh, maybe two cans of beer in each box and it's true slugs like beer and they all just climb into the beer and then they like dissolve into some kind of jelly it's like some horrible sci-fi movie where they just dissolve it's really brutal and gross but that was the best remedy so we always called beer slug juice and my girls grew up with thinking beer was slug juice. So one night we were out to dinner with our friends. Tana was quite young. She was probably two or three. And one of our friends, I totally forget who it was, but one somebody ordered a beer and they were drinking the beer. And Tana leans over and goes, 
why is he drinking slug juice? (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, oh, that was her like idea of what beer was for was to kill kill slugs. So anyways, that's what we used to do in our garden for slugs. But um, well, I don't think you could ask for a better introduction to (laughs) beer for kids is uh, teaching them that it's slug juice. Yeah, gross. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that sounds good. I think we can definitely um, talk about pests here. So let's see. Let's see if we can start with, um, let's start with some good pests. And maybe we'll try and blow some of the uh, why, uh, wives' tales is a bad term. You know, the, the things like uh, daddy long legs, you know, the the urban myths, that's a better term for it. Urban myths around some things. So daddy long legs, right? We all know them as daddy long legs. Um, they are actually one of your, your better um, spiders or arachnids. They're not a spider, they're arachnid. Um, and I'm trying to remember their, their name, what they're actually called. Dang it. I wish I'd look at that. <laughs> um, yeah that go ahead is a daddy long leg. go ahead and google it so we can give people the proper name okay. um but a um oh that's driving me crazy we've talked to, i've talked about this so much anyway um so daddy long seller the seller spider um oh. um the including those commonly known as the seller spider the daddy longleg spider, they're the species of what are called fulcids. P-H-O-L-C-I-D-S. Yes. There's See if you can find it. hundred different species. Yeah. Yep. And so technically they're not spiders. They're in their arachnid family. Um, and they're not deathly poisonous and their mouths are too small to kill you. That's all myth. Um, but what they are is great predators within your garden. Um, and the same can be said for most of your spiders. The poor funnel web spider is um, often confused for a hobo or a brown recluse because they're very similar looking. Um, they have the same big balls out on the end of their face next to their fangs. They have the same little pattern on their back. It's just a little bit different. Um, and you know, they get killed all the time and they're just a funnel web spider and they're obnoxious. They're just a good garden spider. Um, so if you're afraid of spiders, I get that. I understand that. I don't necessarily share that, but I get it. Um, try not to kill every spider in your garden. Let them be if you can at, at, at any you know, as much as you possibly can. And if you're not afraid of spiders, just stop killing spiders altogether unless you can identify it positively as something that is harmful to you or your family. Black widow spider, if you're living in the right areas. Um, You know, actual hobo spiders um, or brown recluses. Those are all spiders that you probably don't want in your house, but identify them correctly right? Like take the time to research and look them up because the other spiders are just 
they're out there doing good work. They're eating aphids, they're eating insects, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Catch them and take them back outside if they're in your house. And if they're in your garden, let them be. Um, so, oh, Ryan, are you listening to this podcast? Because Ryan is afraid of spiders. So Ryan has a fear of spiders and snakes. It's really weird. It's like his two whatever. I am not afraid of spiders or snakes. And I actually like spiders because when we lived in Washington, we lived by a, in farming country and there were tons of flies. I hate flies. Flies are disgusting. You're probably going to tell me there's good flies and I'm sure there is, but we had horrible fly situation and I love the spiders because they would make nests. They would catch the flies. They would eat the flies. I never, we would get these ginormous spiders, some of them. I don't think they were any of the poisonous ones, but you, you know, those ones you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you turn the light on and they're like, uh Oh, I'm caught. And they're like ginormous. And you're like, Oh my God, you can see his eyeballs. But I never really had, a, I've never really had a problem with spiders because I always felt like, yes, they're, they seem to be the, they seem to be like controlling the <clears throat> amount of pests, other pests that are around. And I've, you know, I mean, who minus maybe getting a little spider bite at night or something, you know, you've got spiders crawling all over you at night, people. If you don't think they're smart they're you know, you wake up with a little, you're like, what is this? You know, but it's not a brown recluse bite. You know, everybody's gotten a little spider bite here and there. Um, but I have always liked the spiders. And I definitely say, don't kill them. If it's me, I take them outside. I put them outside because I want them to eat the flies and to do exactly what you're telling. So I'm glad you're backing me up on that. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually, I got a tattoo of the comic book character Spider-Man at 18 before I left um, high school. And since then, I am, I don't know what it is about that and we won't go down this rabbit hole, but I have had lots of spiders in my life ever since. Um, and That's I can tell all sorts of spiders. Like a little totem ah. of a spider. So they are in my life and I have okay. all sorts of very interesting stories, um, particularly in Hawaii or other places of like interactions with spiders and having them live with me. So, you know, with pests and um, good and bad pests or whatever you want to call them, the insect world, the dynamics between them and you and your garden and the outside world are just as important as wind, water, rain, sunshine. They are part of the microclimate, just like you are. And the idea that we want to eradicate these things to protect ourselves and our crops is counterintuitive, really, in the, when it comes to, down to it, it's just the wrong approach. We need them every bit as much as they need us and our gardens. And what we need to work towards is finding ways to work with them um, and allow them to do their thing because they will reduce pests much faster and much more efficiently than we will. Um, and without the, all the, you know, we have a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? We have a ton of like downsides to our pest controls, right? We use sprays yeah. and herbicides and pesticides and all these different chemicals that we put out into our environment to kill these pests. And it's harmful not only to us, but it's harmful to the, you know, bio life surrounding us. You know, look at what it's doing to our rivers and our oceans and our streams and our soils. Um, you know, another good one that we can 
um, and we're rabbit holing a little bit and I'll try and get a little more narrowed in. But another one that really, and I get this one, right? Cause I'm semi-allergic in my older age to wasps and bees and hornets. Right. And people, you know, almost go to war with these things and they won't allow them anywhere near them. And I can understand that particularly if you deal with anaphylactic shock. Like if you get stung by something and you go into anaphylactic shock, then maybe what I'm about to say isn't necessarily for you. You should probably keep your, your zone, your house and your, your garden clear of those things. However, if you don't experience those things, wasps and hornets are fantastic hunters. They eat aphids and all sorts of good things. And so like, I have a mild allergic reaction, um, which has developed more as I've gotten older, which is fairly common. Um, And so what we try and do, and my effort, is that I try and make sure there's no nests in places where I'm going to get stung. So there's a a very common, the little greenhouse, the door to the little greenhouse. I just took a nest out there the other day. Um, Every year, there's some wasp hornet trying to build a nest in that door frame and every year i remove it and get rid of it i don't kill the wasp but i'm like your nest can't stay you got to go somewhere else and that usually works i take it down two or three times and then if i find them in the farm stand if i find them any place that i'm going to bump into them or maybe we're going to have an interaction i remove those nests however on all my high eaves of the house any place where i am not where my kids are not going to like run into it and cause an, you know, an interaction between the two of us. I allow them. I let them stay because that colony of wasps helps keep down my aphids. It helps keep down, you know, all sorts of other different bugs that they may hunt flies included like bald face hornets are nasty, right? They're a nasty thing to come across. However, bald face hornets hunt flies, and I have seen this working in the forest service. Like it's phenomenal. Like if you're out in the woods, you can watch them take out a big old horse fly and like get it, take it down on the ground, take its head off and fly off with the body. It's fascinating. Um, but they're nasty, right? Like bald faced hornets are rough. Um, and we used to run into them all the time when we were thin and roads. So there is a relationship there, just like your microclimate, right? And just like within your soil, there's a relationship with pests and good and bad pests. So, you know, there's some, there's a few good ones. Spiders are good ones. Earwigs is another one that folks, you know, there's a lot of phobia and fear around earwigs, but they're kind of innocuous. They really don't hurt anything. And they're a pretty good middle of the road, like eater, right? They go around, they'll eat some aphids. They eat a lot of trash. They eat a lot of leaf litter. Um, they can be a pest. They can get into things and start to, you know, they'll get into corn or some, some different things like that. But for the most part, they're innocuous mm. and they're a good garden insect. And if you can, if you can let them be, let them be like, that is the most important thing. If you can let things be, let them be. Um, and so let me tell a quick story. So, you know, Ryan is as anaphylactic to hornets. He was stung when he was 14, bird hunting. I think he came across a nest or something, didn't know it kicked it up. And he, yeah, they paddled him. He died. Um, And 
uh, he made it. He was 14, and he made his dog got stung too, I think. And he made it to a road. He was by himself. His dad just dropped him off in a field and left him. And he made it to a road, and like somebody found him, and they the ambulance came and they paddled him in the ambulance. And so he, as you can imagine, is deathly afraid of hornets. Right. So we have in the past in Washington, we had the same thing, like out in the shed or under the awning of our house, they put their, their nests up there. And so he'll, he'll spray those. And it's hilarious to watch him go out to spray a hornet's nest because he's like full long gloves, totally covered helmet on his head. Like nothing is going to be exposed if one of those hornets gets out because he's so scared, but he hasn't had an incident. And this is what is absolutely miraculous if you think about it. Because you were talking about being in the Forest Service, being out in the forest. Hornets are actually pretty common. And so he's carried an EpiPen forever since I've known him. He has to carry an EpiPen and Benadryl. And, uh, you know, they're in the forest. They're in the trees, the old logs. You step over, you know, on all that um, down timber and stuff, the way he's hunting. And he has never been stung. It's absolutely insane for the 40 years that he's been out in the mountains that he's never been stung. But we had an incident. We went hiking one year and we were we were up in uh, Washington there and hiking. And I was behind him and I took a step and then I saw some bees or hornets. I think I don't know if they were bees or hornets, whatever. They came out of this log and they were just like, Wah! they came up and I just yelled. I yelled. I think there's some bees or something. And you've never seen a grown man drop his stuff and run so fast. And not to see turn around to worry that I'm getting stung by bees and maybe dying. He is gone, like running. So he's definitely afraid of them and he is anaphylactic. But, you know, we, we have them around here too. And um, <laughs> I'm not afraid of those bugs. I don't know. I've always like earwigs, everything. I just take them outside, put them back outside if I don't want them in the house. And I feel like they all have a purpose. You know, I'm, I've always been like that. And I try to teach my kids that, but you know, sometimes kids like, Oh, a spider, let's squish it. You know? And it's like, no, it's not. Let's put it outside. It's doing good work. You know, we need to, we need to let them eat the flies and the aphids and all that kind of stuff. So, but I thought that'd be a funny story. It is. It's a good one. And I, I was aware of that. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, my, you know, my medic kicks in when I hear people are, are that allergic to something. Well, thanks to you, Sean, when you came to our second year of summits, you were like, um, I think you guys need some like backcountry first aid or something. And Ryan was like, ah, I'm fine. I got my EpiPen and, he doesn't even have it. He didn't even have a, um, he didn't even have a tourniquet at that point. I mean, like he was, he was like, it's too much weight. And you were like, well, I think it would be really serving if you talked more about this. And the very next year we got Corey Queen, um, and Tinglestad, who was an MD backcountry medical doctor. And he did our first year last year on backcountry medical. And he's coming back this year. And it's one of the, most loved things because people like really need to know this stuff, you know? And I guess when you're Ryan and you're just used to spending like 40 years in the mountains and knock on wood, nothing really bad has ever happened to you back there. You just kind of go, Oh yeah, well, whatever. But after you brought all that stuff up, we, he definitely took it in heart. And I think it's been a great addition to that. 
Nice. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Ryan and I have both talked about that. And I'm uh, just as guilty of that as, as, as Ryan or anybody else. When I go into the woods hunting, I don't typically have a big medical kit and I've tried to, to get better about that, particularly since the hummet, or the hummet, since the summit, <laughs> since I attended your guys' summit, because yeah. in that, in, in that situation, I had more of my like EMT hat on. Right. And I was evaluating these situations from that perspective more. And that was one of the pieces of feedback that I realized I needed to offer to you guys was like, Hey, you guys are like doing something really amazing here, but you're also taking a bunch of unskilled people into the woods. And this is a component you need to add in here. And this is something um, that you guys all need to, to work on getting trained in. You know, if you're going to take 12 people on a five mile backpacking trip, you should all be wilderness, you know, first responders or, you know, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Cause if something happens, you want to be prepared. Um, and well, Corey did a great job last year. He did this like demo with chicken. I had to buy all these chicken breasts and he's probably mm-hmm. going to have us do it again this year. So I bought a bunch of cheap chicken at Winco or whatever. And then, um, they cut it open. He cut it open and he put like a bunch of dirt and leaves and just ground it out in the driveway. So we look out the window, Corey's out there grinding like chicken into the rocks and stuff. We were first, we were like, what is he doing? And then he sliced. So, and then he had fake blood. Like he had these tubes with fake blood. So there's like bleeding and squeezing out blood and people had to try to figure out how to clean the wound and suture or whatever they're doing out there. And it was great. It was, a, and then he did a whole thing on wounds and just had all of the beautiful pictures that people love to see. And my daughter who watched his whole thing, my older Paley, she's like, she still talks about some of those pictures that she saw of like compound fractures and like, <clears throat> like a bear bite and like all these crazy things. And, um, I think definitely that was like, I think it's one of the best, best. It's probably one of the best things we've added to the summit. Um, because it's not usually if it's when, you know, that, and that's Ryan will say that too. He's like, and our friend Dave Brinker, who, you know, he had a broadhead go through his leg, just walking, not paying attention and a broadhead right through his calf and was Mm -hmm. like bleeding. And like, I think Corey Jacobson or something was with them and they had to like try to get him out of the mountains before he like bled to death or something. So it can, you know, simple stuff can happen too. It's not always like some big dramatic thing where you're you know getting attacked by a grizzly bear but um anyways so it's, it was a great addition so i'm glad you, Absolutely. I'm glad you talked yeah, to ryan about it <laughs> you guys you guys hit you know it seems like you guys hit a home run with the person that you guys got um yeah. he was perfect for what you guys are doing a great addition to the summits um for sure all right well we'll bring it back yeah. around the pests here after we got them picking on ryan um oh, i'd love to do you that. know you could tell him if he sat in on these podcasts he's not probably... on the podcast he gets picked on that's how it is <laughs> i won't single him out as much. i wouldn't pick up um, so much <laughs> so let's go into some of the pests that um that are a little bit more harmful or that kind of detract from our garden so you know aphids is one that's really easy that folks are going to see particularly with your brassicas um, and again, those are like broccoli and cauliflower and, um, oh, sorry, cauliflower, yeah, cauliflower's in there, cabbage, kale. That's right. Um, and, 
you know, they're, they're a little, little tiny little green bug that crawls onto the back of the leaves. And what they do is they suck out nutrients from your leaves. And, you know, for gardeners, a lot of the things that the pests that we may touch on, um, maybe we'll start here. For a gardener, if you don't have a huge garden, you know, if you don't have like hundreds of plants, then you can really find a lot of success by going out, identifying your your pests and just brushing them off, you know, just just knocking those aphids off the back of the leaf. That's a huge thing. They're not they're not really going to be able to get back up to that leaf, you know. Their success is getting there, laying eggs and breeding over time. If you knock them off into the dirt, more than likely some other, you know, it's going to really set them back. Um, so don't overlook that, you know, like don't take an evaluation of your pests if it's aphids or, you know, of some of the other ones that we get into and see what you can do first without resorting to a spray or, you know, various different things that I'll get into. But um, I have found success on, on smaller scales with knocking off aphids, just knocking them off the leaves, cleaning them off there. You can use a, uh, a little bit of a spray, like if you have a hand uh, sprayer that you pump up with a little bit of air, that'll knock them off the back of the leaves pretty well. Um, potato bugs. My very first um, year really growing potatoes, this was on our second farm, which is called Mill Creek Farm. And um, I had a hundred foot row of potatoes and we had potato bugs pretty bad. And I was able to go out there on a daily, every other day basis and catch the potato bugs, throw them in a, in a bucket or in a cup or whatever it is, knock the eggs off, clean off the eggs. And I was able to keep up with a hundred foot row of potatoes by just cleaning stuff off. Now, that's not really time efficient for a farmer in the end. I was able to do that that season. But for a gardener, you can totally do that. You can totally get away with those. And potato bugs are easy to identify. They're a big yellow and orange, black type of beetle that's huge. You can't mistake it. Um, it might be a little bit of, you know, gross or something for you to grab them and throw them off but and the eggs are really bright orange and they're big they're super easy to see and they're going to typically your pests are on the back side of your leaves they're not going to be on the top of your leaf because it's too hot and sunny they're going to be on the back side of your leaves so you got to spend some time lifting up your leaves but again this is that part of like slowing down right taking enough time to not just walk through your garden but pay attention Look at the bottom of your leaf, the back side of your leaf, see what's happening. Another really common pest that um, I think almost everybody sees is a um, butterfly. It's a white butterfly that it's, it's innocuous. I think I, I see it everywhere I go. Um, and that is um, typically associated to the cabbage looper. Um, however, technically speaking, the cabbage looper is a moth. And, but this is technically a butterfly, but, but it does the exact same thing. Those butterflies land on, they like lettuce, they like cabbage, they like broccoli, kale. Most of the brassicas, they really like chard a little bit. Um, and what they do is they lay an egg on the backside of your leaf. That egg pops out and becomes a caterpillar, and then they eat up your leaves. And then... That can be, you know, not too big of a deal in June, 
But when you get into July and August and you haven't really done anything to prevent those butterflies from what they're doing, your plants will be covered in eggs. You know, like I don't know how much they can lay eggs, but I have lost control of whole crops of cabbage in particular to these these butterflies and their their larvae and just lose it. And I just abandon like I, I just abandon shit because I can't maintain it. Um, and so, you know, this is a good pest to bring us into a few of the different pest controls. So one pest control that is really works is Reme, the white fabric that you can buy at your nurseries, at your hardware stores, ideally. It's just a light white fabric. It's plastic, I'm pretty sure. Um, but and it's it's temp typically called reme and you can put this over the top of your plants so that the butterflies can't get in there and they can't lay their eggs and it also can help keep off the deer it can help keep off all sorts of different types of pests that may be coming in um <clears throat> it can also be successful in keeping some of like if you're planting your peas and you're noticing that your peas um are getting nibbled on for us, that's typically a cucumber beetle. It's a little little, um, little green beetle that comes in and eats. Um, and <clears throat> so another like successful, like not like chemical compound that you can use for, uh, you know, peas or cucumber beetles or beans, or um, uh, there's a few other things that I use it on. I'll use it on my cabbage or my, broccoli or cauliflower if i'm trying to keep those butterflies off is diatomaceous earth and you can take diatomaceous earth and just sprinkle it on your plants i tend to do it very heavily um and it works really good with beans and peas for the beetles because the, they they crawl on the diatomaceous earth and the diatomaceous earth is like little razors to them and it will cut up their body and it they don't want to climb on and, and I don't know if it ultimately kills them, but it keeps them off of your plants. Um, and then, so like, just going back to the butterflies really quick. Um, <clears throat> some other things that you can do is that you can look for the eggs. If you've only got, you know, four or five plants, look at your eggs. You can see the eggs of the butterfly. They're a little green thing. Um, and if none of that is working out for you and you're still seeing these caterpillars coming on, there is an organic or an OMRI listed spray called BT. Um, oh, am I going to be able to remember what that stands for? What's the Latin? Um, bicillary. Oh, I should have brought a jar up here because <laughs> we keep some. I'll Google it for you. Okay, great. You Google that. So your daddy long leg. It's called the Fulcus phalangiotis, I think is how you say that. Yes. And they are also called harvester spiders. That's harvester. the name I was looking for. That's harvester the common. Spider. Okay. That is the say, common. That's the actual common name for um, daddy long legs is um, a harvester spider. Okay. Um, so BT, um, which we'll get the name for, is it's a spore. It's, it's green. It's a green liquid spore that you mix with water. And what you do is you're going to want to put that into something, some type of pressurized sprayer, whether it's a handheld or a backpack sprayer. And then 
you put that on, you get it all mixed up, you follow the directions, the directions for what kind of um, dilution you need. And then you're going to go and spray that on your plants. Um, and you can spray that on the top. And then ideally you want to spray it underneath. And what that does is it just dries them out, whatever it may, if it lands on the egg or if it even lands on the caterpillars, um, it will dry the young ones out or they will eat the leaf that the, the, the spray or the BT is sitting on, excuse me. And then they will ingest that and then that will kill them. Um, and that is like oh. your, um, you know, kind of your last resort is kind of the way I approach these things is I, I take my mm -hmm. first steps and, you know, if, if I get to the point where I'm seeing that I'm not keeping up with this pest problem, I will then go get the BT. And if you read the instructions, they say BT is safe. You know, you can eat that product within whatever, a few hours of putting it on. Yeah. I don't necessarily abide by that. Um, I feel like it's better to be safe than sorry. So if we use it, we use it right after a harvest day so that there's at least a few days in between our next harvest. And then all of our produce is, is initially washed anyway. So, um, you know, we'll wash everything off just to be on the safe side of things. But most of these products are, you know, it's, it's just a spore. It's a, it's a really natural. Yeah, I was going to say it's Bacillus thuringiensis. So it's like a spore. It's like a pro, well, it's like a probiotic sort of thing. If it's a Bacillus, it's in the Bacillus spore family, it sounds like. So, you know, um, but it is organic. And I mean, you can just Google BT spray. That's what comes up. It's like everywhere. It's easy to find. You don't yeah, have to remember absolutely. this long name. Um, that's interesting to know. We've never used this, but that makes sense. You know, I noticed in the garden last weekend, we have these, uh, they must be caterpillars, but they look like a mealworm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? They're like long and we have lizards. So I have a lizard, so I have to feed them, feed them mealworms. And Ryan used to work in the fishing industry. So, you know, a mealworm, big fat looking yes. mealworm, but it had legs kind of like a caterpillar. And what I noticed, uh, we made a little fairy house in the corner of the garden for Tana to hang out during the day. And there were some ants and Tana caught this caterpillar doing its thing walking through the dirt and some ants jumped on it and the ants were attacking it and like eating it so i don't know what kind of caterpillars those are but they look like a mealworm yeah i don't i was going to ask if it was underneath in the soil itself because there's some big um you know cut worms and a few of the other worms that usually... well it was kind of like when you you know i dig up a bed like mm -hmm. weeding the bed and there'd be some in there a few we had some worms this year a lot of worms which is great like real worms yeah. and but i noticed some of these and they're kind of longer or thicker they look like mm -hmm. a really sturdy mealworm kind of thing and i hadn't seen those before so yeah um, I, you know not being able to see it i, I probably can't identify yeah. it but you know some of those ones that are in the soil not necessarily like living up on top those can be really detrimental to your roots and so if you're finding those <sighs> look them up try and figure out what it is that you have so that you can identify whether, you know, cause if you get cutworms, that's a nightmare. Um, cutworms are terrible. Like that's one of the things that the big ag is trying to like deal with in their mono crops all the time is cutworms and they can decimate a crop very easily because gotcha. they're pretty prolific. Um, okay. And then, you know, so BT is a really good um, source for, 
you know, this caterpillar and this butterfly in particular, or maybe in your region, you actually have cabbage looper, which is the moth. Um, <clears throat> and um, another like good way to combat aphids, and this is another organic spray, is safer soap. You know, it's just a soap product. Um, and you can spray that onto your plants and that will kill the aphids as well. Um, and usually not a bunch of other things. And that is, you know, one of the like downsides to like using the hardcore pesticides is rather than trying to target a specific thing and reduce one population of a pest, you're just nuking the whole area, um, which is not only bad for your microclimate within your soil and your plants, but it's bad for you and it's bad for the environment as a whole. Um, so tr try and be target specific with your with your pests, whatever they are, and identify, is it a pest or is it one of my friends? Is it somebody that I want to keep and I just don't like very much because I'm not big on bugs? Or is it an actual pest that I need to get rid of? Um, right. And I would say that BT, Safer Soap, and Diatomaceous Earth, and Reme are my four, like, go-to ways to maintain and keep up with pests. Um, and then, you know, after that, it's just kind of like playing it by ear and see how it goes. You know, like I don't have an incredible amount of pests. That butterfly is actually one of my number one pests. Um, if anybody had ever seen me running through my garden, chasing those butterflies, <laughs> butterfly nets, you would get one of the best laughs out of you i mean all the butterfly nets are broken now but i had years of like running around our garden trying to catch these butterflies um and keep their populations down um and that well you know, i had no idea my daughters are always chasing those butterflies oh they're butterflies now i can be like yes catch them Go yeah, get them. yeah 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 <laughs> um, and i grew up hunting you know butterflies that was one of our pastimes when we were fishing mm, is if the right. fishing slowed down we would go collect butterflies my grandfather and I. um so you know those are the some of the four main recommendations that i would give to people is the bt the safer soap um diatomaceous earth and um and let's see if we can identify some more pests if i can think about them um the cucumber beetle again is is a pretty good one. Stink bugs, stink bugs aren't that big. You know the big black beetles that you see running around your yeah, your not a problem. They're just not a problem. Okay, they're mostly eating like litter and vegetation and other things like that. Ants, not really a problem. I know people don't like them. Um, I know they get annoying. Um, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in Hawaii and have lived there, so. Uh, you know, you, when you live in tropical climates, you kind of have to learn to get used to ants because you just can't get rid of them. Um, yeah. So, you know, in, unless they're causing some type of an issue for you, let your ant nest go. You know, most of us have carpenter ants around. Those are the black and red ones, and they usually live around a tree or a log or a stump. They're really not hurting nothing. Um, <clears throat> let's see. What other pests can I think of? As I look around outside, oh, mm, another one of my biggies is root maggots. This is an important one for if you're starting things and you have a greenhouse 
or if you got plants outside and you start noticing a lot of little flies. And so these are just like little tiny flies. They're almost easy to ignore. However, the adults lay eggs in your soil and you'll see them on your soil. You'll see the flies on your plants. You might see them if you have like a greenhouse or some type of structure, you might see them um, along the walls because they'll rest there. That fly is unbelievably damaging when they are in their maggot form and they're in your root structure. They will eat your plant's roots to nothing. I have had them wipe out entire crops, particularly cucurbits, uh, cucumbers, winter squash, melons, things with like nice, big, juicy seeds. They crawl right into that seed and eat it out from the inside out. Um, and so again, Rime is my first way to combat those. So I'm getting ready to plant all of those crops and we see, we transplant all those crops out. So all our cucumbers, all our winter squash, all my melons, I'm getting ready in the next week to plant all those ideally. And as soon as a tray gets planted, it goes onto the, onto the, um, pallets and covered with Rime. And, you know, we'll probably start a couple hundred trays of those and they just get covered in remake immediately without question. Mm. Um, and then after a few days go by and I need to do my first watering, I'll treat with predatory nematodes, which is another really awesome, like beneficial thing that you can do. And at this point, we have these flies so badly within our our soil and our greenhouses. And a lot of it comes from greenhouses that aren't getting exposed to the elements, right? So if you don't get your plastic off, the snow doesn't get in there, the cold doesn't mm. get in there, they can survive through the winter in your soil. Then they come back out and they start laying eggs and they start all over again. So I treat with predatory nematodes, everything. Um, and we treat every four to six weeks. And I can't imagine that most home gardeners are going to have this problem nearly as badly. You might see it in your home, in your plants. Um, sometimes they'll infest house plants, or maybe you'll buy something from a nursery and you'll bring those pests home. So if, if you find yourself having plants that are looking sick and dying and you can afford to take them apart and look at their root structure, a lot of times you'll find these maggots in your roots um, and, or the plants are just outright dying. They look good on top, but for some reason they're dying. Take that apart. You know, you got yourself a little science experiment. I'll just pop it out of the pot and have a nice clean board. I usually work just off of a wooden table or whatever. And I start picking the soil apart and breaking it all down in front of me and getting down into the roots. And what happens when you get into your roots? Are you finding brown and dead roots? Are you finding alive and, and vibrant white roots? You know, if they're brown and dead, start to pick them apart, start to look in there, start to see if you can find areas where they've been chewed away, particularly close to the stem, up at the top of the stem near where the, the plant comes out of the soil. They'll concentrate on that and they'll eat rings around. So you may not end up actually even seeing the maggot per se, but you might find that evidence that they're there eating. So that can give you, you know, some signs and symptoms of what's happening there. 
and then you can treat. Now, predatory nematodes you can get ideally from your hardware store. You might have to order them online. Um, I know our hardware stores carry them, or at least Ace does. I don't know about our nurseries. Um, you know, Summer Sun Garden and Brew, which is more kind of the, the grow shop um, that caters towards the, the marijuana growers and the gardeners. They carry them. That's where I buy all mine. They're not necessarily cheap, but they go kind of a long ways. I think a packet is right around 20 bucks. Um, but what you do is you, you put the nematodes into uh, a bucket of water and they're on a sponge. So you rinse that sponge out in with a bucket of water, and then you can take that bucket of water and put it in a backpack sprayer or put it into something else so that you can distribute it into your plants. Mm. But all you have to do is water it in. Um, which reminds me of a couple of other little techniques as far as using BT or um, safer soap and these predatory nematodes. If you can, they don't like sunlight. So try and do these things in the evening. This is another one of those things that you're, you're going to have a, a much higher degree of success if you're working late evening after the sun has gone down or it's really cloudy outside because the sun is really hard on the predatory nematodes and what it will do for BT is it'll dry it out faster rather than having it sitting on the plant wet. You know, so a lot of the farmers that I've developed my techniques for, they'll go out really close to dusk and they'll spray for whatever they're doing. Well, that moisture and that BT or whatever it is, it sits on the plant for a lot longer and it gives more time for the caterpillars to eat it and ingest it. Or in the case of the predatory nematodes, it gives them a lot longer to work their way down into the soil without direct sunlight hitting them and, you know, it'll kill them. Oh. It's just too, it's too strong. Direct sunlight's just kind of hard on them and they won't survive the transition from your watering them in. But once they get into your soil, you've got like four to six weeks of them doing their work and keeping those um, maggots or whatever those pests are down. Um, safer soap. A little bit less true. Safer soap kind of works on contact. So um, you might be able, you know, you can get away with doing that kind of more in the daytime. And again, these are not hard and fast rules. If the only time that you can do this is perhaps in the morning or the middle of the day, then do that. And then maybe schedule in another treatment within a week or within three to five days. You know, just double up on your treatments so that you're getting more exposure to whatever pest you're trying to combat. Um, and then another um, like beneficial trick to figuring out pests, right? So say you're, you're seeing your beans are coming up and they're getting eaten, but you can't find anything. Like, what the heck is this pest? Come outside at night. Come outside either, you know, after the sun is going down. Um, or if you're an early riser like I am or like to be most days, get up before the sun rises and go out um, ideally with a flashlight and you'll find your pests. If you're not seeing them during the day, they're coming out at night and working on your plants. Um, and so the cucumber beetle that uh, eats up my peas, they come out at night predominantly. Unless they're doing, you know, unless there's a whole bunch of them and they're eating really good, and then you'll start to see them more during the daytime. Um, right. And things with the things hitting your beans, check them at night. Um, slugs, slugs are far more easy to find 
at night or early. Oh, yeah. Morning. And they can work fast. Oh, they sure can. I had a, I've probably told this story before. I had grown a bunch of basil from seed and they were all starts and I put them in a box. And I came out the very next morning. Every single plant was eaten to down all the way. I mean, like overnight, they ate like 10 basil plants just fully down. So they're quick and they don't look quick because they're slow movers, but they can eat, they yeah. can eat and destroy quickly. So, Absolutely. And slugs is a good one for gardeners to keep up just by picking them off. Um, yeah. And I think the your chickens, guys, the chickens will eat them. So you yes. can throw them to the chickens. Yeah. It seems gross. They can eat um, them, but yeah. Or the beer is a really good trick. Um, and, you know, and I think you're, you know, I don't, I've never seen that garden in person, but that's probably, you know, like a really good example of if your garden is on the size of that, then you might not be able to go out there and find everything by hand. So you've got to start incorporating some different things like the beer. Um, and there's other slug traps out there that work. Um, we definitely incorporate a few slug traps for our headlights. We don't get a lot of slugs, but our head lettuce seems to attract mm. most of them. Um, so if we find them, you know, coming up, we'll start to put out a few traps. Some of them might be beer, sometimes a sugar, uh, like a sweet. It has something to do with sweeteners. They like sweets. Right. Oh, we got kiddos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're up and, they're up and doing their thing. <laughs> wow, that. I love that on pesticides because a lot of these I didn't know about. So and the other thing is, you know, Ryan in the past has grown so much green stuff and you can, um, he, he's pretty, like when you pick something and we wash it, we're always looking for like eggs underneath because mm -hmm. we have had aphid problems before. So that's another thing, like when you wash your veggies, you want to look underneath the leaf because usually all the aphid eggs are going to be underneath the leaf and so if you're going to wash it and eat it you probably want to go under there and wash it as well make sure that you've got it don't just like look at it on the front and then ignore the bottom if you know that you have an aphid issue here and there but it, um yeah however it's okay to eat that stuff like that is you know if oh, you're, i'm sure we've eaten our share of aphids yeah yeah well and if you're this was a very interesting thing that i learned um I have, I have done just about every diet under the sun. And at one point in my life, I was a raw foodist. It was a short period of time. But, you know, raw foodists, they don't wash their vegetables because some of the only protein they get is from the bugs and pests on their vegetables. Um, huh. So they were all about eating aphids or little bugs that may be in there. And they would argue that that was, you know, all the protein that they really needed. Um, <laughs> You know, and they ate nuts and other things like that. But um, at least the raw food is that don't eat raw meat. Um, right. So um, it's not that, you know, it's not going to harm you if you eat an aphid. It's not going to harm you if you eat, you know, these little caterpillars or these eggs. Um, it actually might be kind of good for you. Um, but it is worthwhile to look at the bottom of your leaves when you're harvesting to get an idea of what's going on, if there's anything. Right. And I mean, you know, the real telltales, if, if you're not keeping up and seeing eggs, is the leaves start to curl, you know, aphids curl the leaves, the leaves start to curl around and get, you know, really funky shaped. Um, okay. And then the, the caterpillars are eating holes in your stuff. 
right? So if you're seeing holes in your kale or your lettuce or whatever, you got a pest, right? Um, and you got to figure out what that pest is before you lose your crop. Um, and some things I'm, will power through it. Go ahead. I'm pretty sure we have a caterpillar because last year our greens had lots of holes in them. And now that I was out there working in the dirt, I see those things. I'm suspicious that those what might be partially what's eating. So I think the white stuff, the, what did you call it? The diatomaceous earth. Oh, the white. Oh, we have a diatomaceous earth. Yeah. We have plenty of that because we give it to our chickens. I mean, we put it on our chickens, right. To kill their fleas and stuff like that that they get. So we could definitely sprinkle that on and then put the fabric over the top. Yeah. Of the, of the um, leafy plants and see if that makes a difference for sure. Yes. Um, and that is a, a great trick. Um, you know, and Remay also for folks that have deer issues, you know, if you can't get a fence up, Remay keeps deer out too, right? Because they'll come up and tr they're not going to like try and get the Remay off of there. Um, you know, and we can work for grasshoppers. It would work for grasshoppers. The downside with grasshoppers is they might crawl underneath. Yeah, um, they kind of get in everywhere. You're going to keep your numbers down, right? You're going to okay. keep the numbers down. Um, the thing that, the, the challenge with Remay is that you've got to take it off and on and keep an eye on things now and again. If you just cover them and leave them, I ran into this as well, um, that if you're not paying attention, you know, like you can get an infestation under there and not know it. And then the next thing you know, you're walking by and you're seeing like 10 white butterflies flying under your covered cabbage <laughs> and they've infected your crop. And do they have, could you do water with the remay on or do you take it off when you water? Do you worry about it getting, does it like hold moisture? Does it cause rot? Like, is there any problems with that? So as far as watering goes, if you're overhead watering, you may want to consider taking that remay off now and again. It's going to penetrate through depending. So there's a lot of different remays out there. You can get really light fabric which is just kind of more of a pest control, keeping a light frost off all the way up to what we call like a frost blanket. It's like three or four ounces. It's very heavy. Um, and that is to like hold warmth in and keep frost out. So, you know, I use Remay a lot. Um, and I have all those different varieties going on the farm all the time. And so... Most home gardeners are just going to want the light stuff that you can find wherever at your home gardening store or whatever. Um, of course, you can find it online too. I just don't tend to promote that because um, I'm really into trying to keep things local. But if you know you need to do the online thing, do the online thing. You'll find it. It's out there. Reme is typically spelled R-E-M-E-E. -E, um, and you're going to find it under all sorts of different various names. So just look for white gardening fabric or something along those lines. Um, but that's a great question because if you're overhead watering, I don't feel like you're, you're going to get enough coverage if you're leaving your remay on all the time and overhead watering at the same time. We do an entire drip. Our system is all drip. So we don't have to, like, that's not a consideration for me. I can turn my watering mm -hmm. system on. The, everything gets watered and then the remake can stay in place. 
So um, outstanding point there as far as like if you're watering, you need to pull your EMA off once a week and evaluate how well things are getting watered. Um, so that is definitely a really important thing. And Rime is just a, it's a good tool. Like it's a really good tool um, for the, for the old toolbox, because, you know, we could probably almost do a podcast on it alone. But, you know, like I said, I put the heavy stuff on, not this year, because this year has been so crazy weather-wise, but typically I get my first broccoli and cabbage and uh, chard and kale in the ground in the first week of April, put that heavy frost blanket over it, and they just do great under there. It keeps that heavy frost off, and they go gangbusters. So, wow. Yeah, that's cool. I've seen it before. I've never used it, but I've definitely seen it. It's in, good. Um, some of and the then, nurseries, and I've seen it, too, in some larger farms. Yes. And one more thing I want to plug, again, just, you know, if, if you didn't hear us talking about the Encyclopedia of Organic Gardening, that's going to cover all of these things. Um, and so ideally if you can, and it's not like out of stock, like most things pick that book up or keep an eye out for it. There's all sorts of versions of it. You know, if you do thrift store hunting, or if you go to use bookstores, go over the gardening section, because you'll, this book has been around for a long time. We have a version of it that was, you know, is completely, um, different, you know, it's same on the inside, but the cover and the jacket and everything, it's old. It was from like the seventies or something. Whereas my most updated version is, you know, sometime in the late nineties or early two thousands. So again, that's a great resource for figuring these things out. Right. Cool. Awesome. Well, that was a great rundown on pests, especially since we just pulled that right out of thin air. <laughs> like, yeah. What are we going to talk about today? You did excellent. I yeah. learned a ton. Yeah.